Welcome to Terror Talk. Before we start the show today, I wanted to give you a heads up about our Patreon community. For as little as $5 a month, you can become a patron and join our Discord community where we watch film together and chat daily. You also have early access to our episodes and a minicast that we do exclusively for Patreon members. Also, check out our new website at terrortalkpodcast.com. Follow along as we build it together. Most of all, thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Welcome. (laughs) Today on the show, we are going, this is an ongoing series that we have on female psychopaths in film. And today on the show, we have the film The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, which is a 1992 American psychological thriller uh, starring Annabelle Sciorra, Rebecca DeMornay, Matt McCoy, Ernie Hudson, and Julianne Moore. Which I had totally forgotten. I had too. <laughs> and when I saw her name on the credits, I was still had a hard time remembering what part she played. And she actually played a really significant role in this. Very much so. Plot turner. Uh, so the plot follows the pregnant wife of Seattle obstetrician, who uh, a Seattle obstetrician, who kills himself after he's accused of sexual misconduct by his patients. The shock leads the wife to miscarry, after which she poses as a nanny for one of her husband's accusers and slowly begins to infiltrate the family. That's the basic premise. Yes. Rebecca de Mornay plays this woman, this wife who miscarried and lost her husband. And Annabelle is the mother in the family that she infiltrates, so to speak. When you look at Annabelle Escure now, or Shiora now, and, and um, Rebecca de Mornay now, and even the guy who played the husband, I was looking at what they look like now. Oh, really? I, I just forgot how old this movie was. I mean, they, <laughs> they all look like children, including... Um, yeah, 1992. This... Uh, I could not watch another movie by Rebecca De Mornay after I saw this. This is the only role that, she was so typecast for me mm-hmm. after this role because I felt like she terrified me. It was a bizarre really really bizarre role especially when you I think it was one of the first times I saw a woman in this capacity mm-hmm. and then she really knew how to manipulate him through her sexuality and Annabella Schiora plays Claire as the, the her character. She manipulates Claire through her maternal mm-hmm. side and the way that she was able to... She was terrified. I'm sorry. She was terrifying in this. She is really good in it. Uh, there's one other role that she did that I remember where she was sexy with Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Yeah, that's the only yeah. other one from that sort of time mm-hmm. period, which, of course, is nothing like this role. And it was before this. They were like... So, teen- yeah, it was yeah. kind of one of the first times you'd ever Doesn't seen her. Doesn't she play like a prostitute or something in that? And he picks her up or... I don't something remember. like yeah. that. Um, I do remember that. And so... I just want to start out by saying I had not watched this movie for probably a couple decades. Like I, this is not one that I revisit on the reg. No, um, I actually was not looking forward to watching it. Yeah, I hear you on that. Some of the movies we choose are like that <laughs> because we're looking at criminal behavior and it's often not particularly enjoyable to watch. However, I will say the movie held up for me mm-hmm. in some ways. <laughs> There's culturally, there are some tropes and some uh, prejudices and some odd things in there that 30 years ago, I guess we were not as sensitive to because this was a big kind of blockbuster movie, Um, even though it's very female centric. Mm -hmm. uh, It was a, a big movie, but also 
you know, you have, and I'll just start out by saying, I know that we're going to talk about some of the tropes there, but I'll just start out by saying that, you know, demonizing grieving mothers is, and making them psychopaths yep. is a thing. That's my first note. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> Take it from there. No, I just, <laughs> I just agree with you. My first note was it makes, you know, some, a woman who experienced a miscarriage, uh, mutually exclusive with psychopathy, you know, I mean, obviously it's a very devastating thing when women do lose, um, you know, their babies and their husbands to very bad behavior. He was well, accused of sexual misconduct. So he, she loses a life, right? Like the whole, yeah. her whole life, her whole identity. Yeah. There's that too. Um, but I also suspect that, you know, there were parts of him that she full on knew who he was. I mean, this, I suspect that he was incredibly narcissistic and probably a cheater and, you know, fondled and, you know, assaulted many women on his tape on their, on, on the GYN table or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think it came. I think she knew exactly who she was married to. So that she was a, I mean, so, okay, well let's get into the psych too, because it's like we, there's kind of this thing where does the script hold up in the way of, then that would suggest that, you know, she didn't turn into a psychopath because she was grieving. She was a psychopath before. I think, she, I think they, I think that, the way that I see it, and this is just my opinion, because yeah. here, here's the disclaimer. They don't give any history. No. So when we're doing diagnoses or we're looking at a full psych assessment, we need to know somebody's history. We need to know if they've, you know, broken the law before or if there was, you know, any any evidence in childhood, right? What what? But what we do know is if someone is um, a psychopath, they're not always violent. Sometimes it will take a an environmental stressor for their, for them to act out on that. Same with psychopathy, mostly psychopathy, I should say, um, that, you know, people who are psychopaths can, can be psychopaths their entire life and never kill anybody. But if, if a situation presents itself where they're triggered and, you know, based on the fact that they already have a foundation of antisocial personality disorder, the rules are not going to apply to them and they're going to take this as an opportunity of revenge. So the way that I see her was, she, the only connection I think she probably had to her husband other than money was carrying his child. Sure. Right. Um, when you see her at the beginning in the business meetings and all of that, you can tell that she, this is stereo. This is a stereotypical marriage that was based on probably lies. He was a creep. She was most likely already a psycho. I mean, she's, she's a psychopath. So it could be that they mirrored each other and they, they developed this relationship and got married based on the fact that they both know that they're psychopaths. Um, they were obsessed with power and control and money on all of this. These are all my projections based on sort of how I saw her after the husband died. I don't know if she necessarily mourned him, but more so that somebody did that to her. Um, and she lost her, her baby. So she was completely out of control. On top of that, um, humiliation is a major trigger for psychopaths. So she was all over the news. Everyone knew who she was. She became a fool. Yeah, there was that scene in the early on in the boardroom where right. you know, she's a multimillionaire with this husband and a right. baby on the way, and they sit her down and they're basically like, "Yeah, the money's not there either, right? Because of what he did and." 
the situation and it's going to be tied up in XYZ, you know, probate or whatever. Right. And um, you see her, she just, Rebecca does such a great job because you just see her sort of look around the room and she's completely contained. Mm hmm. Which is not how any of us would react no. to that news. No. Especially if we were sort of innocent and And she's still pregnant in this moment. Yes. And she just she's completely composed and she just sort of brushes them off and walks out of the room. She I think that's where she faints, right? She yeah. gets up and she starts to walk out and she faints. So I took that as, you know, she's not mourning him. She's mourning a loss of her life and then you know, the child, of course, what that represented. I was thinking identity too, like an identity. Yeah. yeah. And so she, and she actually changes her identity from Mrs. Mott to Peyton Flanders, which is who she then becomes as this, you know, feigning this nanny role that she now finds um, the woman responsible for exposing her husband and why he commits suicide. So she, you know, steps in and says, oh, she's this wonderful nanny, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, wonderful. Well, we're about to have a baby. Come on in and be our nanny. So some of the, you know, and you can add to this, Shannon, but, you know, there's the trope of, of the hot nanny, right? So like Julianne Moore talks about that, don't bring a beautiful woman into your house to watch your child and take care of your husband because you know what's going to happen. Yeah, Julianne is like the best friend. She's Annabelle's the best friend. best friend, yeah. Um, and it's a perfect setup because she used to date Annabella's uh, husband back mm-hmm. in the day who are now good friends. So what a perfect opportunity for a psychopath to make it look like the husband's Yeah, cheating. to triangulate them and put yep. all kinds of like suspicion in there. Plus, as an audience member, I'll just say throughout a chunk of the movie, you kind of don't know whether or not, you know, that that's kind of a little bit of the glory of this thriller. I wouldn't say it's a perfect movie in any way, but like um, there they do make you question just like a real psychopath would make you question reality. They do have you question, is he having right. an affair with Julianne? Because there's a scene where they're out to dinner mm-hmm. and Annabelle is really suspicious and stuff. And you're thinking in your head like, huh, I mm-hmm. wonder if they are, you know, you yeah. start to question it too. Yep. You do. So then there's the trope of the hysterical woman seeking revenge. Um, you know, from the family who ruined her life. Like again, you know, woman is just so hysterical and this is what she's going to go do now after this. And then the gaslighting pregnant wife, you know, the, the, this, you know, Claire plays just this very, um, she's, you know, she has asthma, which sort of adds to it. She's just always sort of hysterical or freaking out or, or feeling like she doesn't know reality. And I think that pregnant women in films can oftentimes be presented as very, just like, Oh, I know. Like so frail our shit together. So pregnant, so frail. Right. (laughs) And then you have the, the black gardener ernie hudson played this role he was fantastic he was but of course he you know is low iq and borderline um mental functioning so you know it's just the there's so much of this now that i think would have been recast or written differently Yeah, those tropes are yeah i was real you know you just get used to your own culture in the day and time right so if i'm 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 looking at this 1992 movie from 30 years later and i'm thinking uh, <laughs> that's unacceptable. That portrayal, yeah. you know, or that trope is a little ooh, well, like not it's only just a little he, bit uncomfortable. Not as not only is he low IQ, he gets uh, you know, um, he, he gets accused of being a pedophile. I know it's bad. Yeah, I, I, mean, I don't. I really didn't like that part of it. <laughs> it's all that stuff that you know, if you lived in a, a white neighborhood and saw a, a strange black man around that yeah. would even from the very first scene Rough. where he's out on the front lawn and she just 
panics. I know. Yeah, I'm like, what? What do you think he's gonna do right now? Yeah, yeah. But, and also, maybe that was an interesting portrayal of that's exactly what people in white suburban towns were doing at the time. One hundred percent. You know, and probably are still doing. This was a wealthy, I think, East Coast town. So there you go. So you know, Peyton. Her name's now Peyton Flanders. Um, Rebecca De Mornay. She she moves in, which I was also thought was. <laughs> I don't know if she had to necessarily move in. I guess maybe because wealthy families they have, they have a, and they have a newborn too. So and they also have another daughter who's probably about what five or six. Yes, yeah, who is so adorable. She's, She's the one who played. Um, was the movie in the nineties, uh, Matilda? Oh, I think that was Matilda. Is that Matilda? Mm-hmm. Oh, she's so cute. She's she's even younger in this. So she calculates and orchestrates the environment. You know, she she really grooms them. Um, the gaslighting is is this form of grooming that she uses to create this like very safe environment. You know, she comes off as the at the beginning as the perfect choice. Mm-hmm. She really starts to play into. Um, the husband and becoming very likable. So he defends, he starts to defend her when Claire is like, I don't really know. There's some weird things that have been happening since Peyton's been here, but she gives the husband enough to have him fight for her fight for Peyton, which clearly starts now the triangulation between the two. So and the effective gaslighting that yep. the husband does to the wife, that's right. Absolutely. The husband gaslights the wife. Like, I don't know what you're talking about right. that. There's nothing wrong that's going on, and, but he's doing it because he's being manipulated. That's right. Yeah, so slowly through gaslighting, you know, drives Claire's, uh, like, basically what Peyton does is she makes Claire's uh, life really close in on her. And what we know about emotional abusers, psychopaths, malignant narcissists is that's what they do is they start to isolate you. And through the gaslighting, you literally feel like you're going crazy. Um, And now imagine that on top of just having a baby, trying to, you know, fix up a new house and a business. You think you've hired this perfect, you know, person to come in. So slowly but surely things start to happen. So, you know, when we look at Peyton and how she's different, you know, we've talked about up until this point, we've talked about Jennifer Jason Lee and single white female and talking about her diagnosis of, you know, borderline personality disorder with psychopathic traits. And then we look at the very, you know, narcissistic, organized, cool, calm and collected Catherine Trammell played by Sharon Stone in Basic Instinct. We have somewhat of a different type on our hands today. I mean, I personally did not think of um, Peyton as a narcissist. She wasn't so uh, self-ingratiated. She wasn't uh, really obsessed with, you know, being the center of attention. If anything, she made everybody else sort of the center of attention. And she was just really calculating all of these things to destroy people. Yeah. It's more that, that antisocial, right. like personality that is the puppeteer. That's right. Yeah. And with the psychopathic traits. I mean, I do think that she would score very high on the psychopathy checklist. I'm sure she would. (laughs) But this is a good example of, you know, when people ask, are all psychopaths narcissists? Not necessarily. There's going to be elements of narcissism in there, but she was not so much caught up in 
um, the grandiosity. I mean, she lacked empathy, but all psychopaths do. This was someone who's, who was really not worried about being the center. She was like Shannon said, the puppeteer. Well, and in films, I often look for with in films and stories. I often for with narcissism, I often look for like what takes them down ultimately. Right. Almost always in films, if they're written well, the narcissist will be taken down by their own vanity or their own need for attention or what have you. Whereas in this movie, she gets taken back down by emotion and rage and yep. failure and humiliation. Humiliation. Like you said. So mm-hmm. that tell that le- skews it more for me towards psychopathy. Uh, no, that's a really good distinction because that's exactly what it is. And I think I've talked. I can't remember if it was on the Patreon page or on one of our shows, but one of the biggest distinctions is a psychopath will lie even if it doesn't make them look good. A narcissist will never do that. Um, She was not caught up so much in how people saw her. She was caught up in more in how they saw one another. She was destroying, she was pinning them up against each other. And wanting to be a replacement. And wanting to be a replacement. She wanted to replace this wife. Yeah, so I would say antisocial personality disorder with psychopathic traits, um... You know, she seeks power and control over this family. You know, she will use her sexuality or her maternal, you know, abilities to charm them. She knew how to feed each each person, the, yes. the husband and the wife. She was pretty delusional, too. She was incredibly delusional. Yeah. Um, paranoid. Totally. Yeah. So we don't know much about her past other than her wealth, um, but I would guess that you know, like I said early in the beginning, is that this 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 stressor, which was ultimate annihilation of her family and therefore her identity and something living inside of her, mm-hmm. um, that this was her perfect opportunity for revenge. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny because so just as an aside, <laughs> they're you know nineties thrillers. They're a little bit, I mean, we, we, we kind of talked a little bit about this in the beginning, but like, they're a little bit ridiculous, right? Yeah. You brought up the live in nanny, uh, kind of there while you were talking. And I just wanted to kind of go back and talk about some of the silly stuff I see in this because like you were alluding to the idea of having a live in nanny when you're, you know, a wealthy doctor, but it's not like they're billionaires or anything. This is not what's happening. So I don't know that idea in the nineties seems a little bit strange. Also, um, the mom is portrayed as not being, she's not very bright. No. Like what? And then, and the husband is not that much better. No. (laughs) So what I see is, I, and I get it for the movies, you know, it's a popular entertaining movie type of thing. I also think, sorry to interrupt, but I yeah. also think it pointed to their privilege. Like they've never really had to worry about that kind of safety. Okay. Um, at least with a white person. I mean, they surely freaked out when they saw Ernie Hudson. My God. Right. And that's somebody that they've trusted and has worked for them and done jobs for them for a long time. But they're like super quick to, to judge him. Think he's yeah. a pedophile and, and fire him and what, what not. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, the uh, f- racism, yeah, fair a bit of racism in this movie, um, portrayed, um, and also like I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to think that I wouldn't want people to think that Rebecca De Mornay's character, because uh, so I, it was pretty obvious to me that she's batshit, mm-hmm. like that she is 
psycho- psychopathic and off and odd and angry. And I wouldn't want people to think that, you know, that's how psychopaths always come off. Like, no, you're generally the smartest people are taken in. (laughs) So she was incredibly reactive. Yeah. Like the scene where they go to the, the greenhouse and she goes to the restroom. Yeah. And she just has that meltdown. I know. I don't know if that's I liked a, her rage as an actor. Sure. As an actor, I en- really enjoyed those scenes in the movie where she just starts hammering stuff. Like as a female, it's like nowadays we see it a lot in horror movies, but in the 90s, I don't think we did where, no. you know, a woman is pissed off. Mm-hmm. Now it has to be a psychotic woman and it has to be a woman who's got this agenda and right. it has to be this horrible woman that gets pissed off because Lord knows as women, we're not allowed to get angry. Right. Unless but, there's something wrong with us. But I enjoyed those parts of it because at least, at least they were showing her somewhat realistically as being filled with rage because mm-hmm. some of the thrillers in the nineties, I don't know. <laughs> they yeah. ease, they ease up on the gas there. Also, I would say that Julianna Moore was really fun in this. Movie. She was really good. At I really liked She was her. the smartest character out of all of them. Well, I, well, right. And she's the character that you need in this, in these kinds of movies that's saying, um, no, she's the one that was saying this woman is not all there from mm-hmm. the very beginning. And you always need that character because that's the audience's character, right? That's us saying you people are stupid. <laughs> Get your shit together. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did like how it, the movie climaxed. I did like how it, um, I thought it w- was put together well. I think overall, especially for when it was made, it was a pretty scary movie. I, yeah. I, I don't. I yeah, think yeah. if they made it again, they would have to change a bunch of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, How did you feel about her, the portrayal, just from your perspective of antisocial disorder and psychopathy in women? Like, did how well, did I you think feel that, about you know? The portrayal? Th- there's, I think there's such few studies because mm-hmm. we tend to, yeah, um, yeah, we've talked about that. Sure, we tend to see more men diagnosed with that and more women diagnosed with borderline personality disorder with psychopathic traits. Mm -hmm. Uh, To me, I think it's just the manifestation of the symptoms, because if we look back at when you were talking about single white female and we were able to distinguish um, how uh, a female psychopath may, may, um, sorry, I'm dropping the word. They, they may uh, present I don't know why I couldn't think of that word. Mm-hmm. Almost as if they were borderline. Yes. Um, and how really what the underpinnings are, are whether they're they're reacting, whether their limbic system is reacting, right? And so mm-hmm. the study that you had talked about was um, that if they were truly borderline, that, that their limbic system was lighting up on these, mm-hmm. you know, where if they were psychopaths, they, they were, were having not. an emotion. <laughs> right. So I still think even when we're looking, I have, a, I have an article in front of me called Sex Differences in APD um, Results from the National Epidemiological Survey on Alcohol-Related Conditions. So this one's more pertains to um, comorbidities, and they seem to think that women have more psychiatric comorbidities with APD than do men. Um, one of course being sexuality. And so I think what happens a lot is women tend to get pigeonholed as this borderline histrionic and the diagnosis of psychopathy and APD oftentimes go undiagnosed or overseen because we still have a difficult time seeing a woman 
without any moral compass. If mm-hmm. she doesn't have a moral compass, then it's because she somehow emotionally, uh, you know, disraveled and, and somehow, you know, it has nothing to do with the fact that maybe she's just a fucking psychopath. Yeah, exactly. That's not the go-to. That's not the go-to. If for us to not have emotional reaction and to not have empathy and to not be nurturing is against uh, cultural norms. Let's put it that way. The very first episode of, of she kills that podcast that's on shutter. They talk a lot about how either the absence of, or too much emotion in women, both are seen as um, just like mental illness or, or demonic or, you know, it's like in the absence of emotion altogether or too much, you know, it's like a woman is expected to just be even keeled all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, clearly we don't see that with men, but anger is more socially acceptable. So when we see a man, um, like the, the way that it's all, uh, antisocial personality disorder typically manifests with men is going to be in much more physical violence or recklessness or disregard for the safety of others in a much more overt way, setting fires, hurting animals, that type of stuff. Right. That's also how society sets up men and women's uh, ability to deal with problems. So for example, uh, if a guy gets into a fight with somebody, I mean, if a guy is upset with somebody, he's taught it's okay to go punch his lights out and shake hands and be done with it. A woman is more socially, you know, it's, it's more appropriate for women to sort of like gossip and hang out over here and not talk about it directly. So women have learned as a survival tool to manipulate, mm-hmm. right? Well, we're raised very differently. We're raised very wise. differently. Yeah. So when you look at this from a science, mm-hmm. sometimes it's hard for me to take these studies seriously because there's nothing necessarily biochemical or innate about it. It's so much about how environment raises girls and boys. Yeah. I mean, uh, working in male-dominated industries, as I have, uh, the communication styles are very different. Um, uh, there's l- l- much less sensitivity in the language used mm-hmm. a lot of times. Um, just just culturally, an environment full of men uh, communicates very differently than an environment full of women, and that is not that is not a gender biased Mm-mm. idea. That is, that is, we are different mm-hmm. <laughs> and we all, and we all have, we all have a shadow too. You know, we all have a feminine uh, shadow. We have a toxic femininity. We have a toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think it's good that we um, chat about these different kinds of portrayals of female, what we're calling female psychopaths because we both feel that each movie we choose, they would match some form or spectrum of criteria for psychopath. But like like you were saying, you know, this this psychopath, Rick, Rebecca de Mornay's character, is more antisocial. Um, and last time we talked about um, single white female was much more uh, on a borderline uh, personality spectrum and how those present differently because they are. We can lump them in as female psychopaths partially for ease to tell you what we're going to be talking about in a title, but also because they all qualify with because that's not a DSM diagnosis, <laughs> right? We can we can put that that marker on them, but then try to pull apart, you know, this character is so mm-hmm. much more um, uh, organized, mm-hmm. uh, vicious, 
ruthless, mm-hmm. cold, calculated, um, full of rage. And she has the paranoia that Catherine Trammell didn't have. Right. Catherine was much more confident. Oh, from basic instinct. Yeah, yeah. much more confident, much more, um, I think, savvy in her manipulation. I mean, Anna, I mean, um, Peyton was manipulative and she was, she was good at it, but she unraveled like Catherine Tremell did not unravel. You know what I'm thinking is I'm thinking that this character in the hand that rocks the cradle before the, these traumatic events, meaning for her, the humiliation of her life falling apart and how she saw herself and her image and her identity and all of that. I'm imagining that before that happened, that trauma trigger for her, she was a sociopath. I think so. And so yeah. she wasn't a violent psychopath, but she she was most likely oriented towards sociopathy. And then these inciting incidents triggered the delusions and the rage and were like a trauma trigger in her and triggered the psychopathy yeah, I th- yeah, yeah. I think it just it's depends possible. on how you. Or I mean, she wasn't violent. We're yeah. we're made to believe she was not violent before this, right? I don't I, I think, think there's anything in the movie that lets us know that she was. Yeah, no. I I think it would be depending on how we were defining sociopaths too, because I find sociopaths to be way more narcissistic. But possibly, well, and we don't know how she was before we don't. this. My we don't. point, my point was that you know, like setting aside labels. Mm-hmm. My point is that we are we are not given. Kind of like in a psyche val, if if it's not there, you don't say it's there. You don't like make up that the person had trauma. No, you can't you know that yeah, they did. And so with these movies, with this movie in particular, we don't know necessarily what she was like before, except for that she was wealthy and had this husband and, and whatever and was pregnant. So I'm just kind of extrapolating like I'm because it's not stated, I'm going to assume she wasn't violent. So that's just interesting. Yeah, I mean, but she could have been a psychopath and not violent. That's true. You know, but yeah, this is, this is all, and this is why it's so important um, in psychology to have the history. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you just, you don't know. No, don't we know. don't. And, and it's kind of, and in assessment, as uh, obviously you guys know, it's like, if it's, if it's not, even, even if you're doing an assessment from written reports, let's say you're asked to give an opinion on, you know, four different psych reports that someone has been given, and you're going to look at those and kind of come up with a case conceptualization before you meet the client or as part of a report. Um, if it's not there, it doesn't exist. We can't like, because our minds, especially in psychology, our minds go like, oh, they must have been, you know, abused or, oh, they must do this or, oh, they must do that. And you want, though, your mind goes to those, you know, those things that are most often true. Mm-hmm. But if it's not there, it doesn't, it's not true. That's right. You can't, you just can't make it up. And so uh, I guess the bottom line for this movie is that you're seeing antisocial, you're seeing psychopathy, we're seeing all this ruthless, you know, paranoia and delusions, but without a history... We don't know. We just don't know. Um, that was cool. I like revisiting kind of the cheesy '90s thriller, <laughs> even if it's just to have this kind of uh, yeah, distinction it's and like a discussion. foundation for yeah. more heady stuff. But honestly, just sitting and watching the movie was just sort of a goofy kind of like, oh my god, the '90s and the, and the styles. Oh my gosh, Juliana's you know dress and yeah. her suit and stuff and she's a real I everything was very like baggy and frumpy and yeah. and the and the stereotypes like oh, oh god the 
stereotypes of women and the stereotypes of the intellectually challenged and the racist stereotypes. And it's just like, oh, Lord have mercy. So I guess in the beginning, I sort of said it held up. What I meant by the movie holding up was that the script held up. (laughs) I thought the script tracked pretty well Mm -hmm. and that the crescendo of the action was great. But as far as um, I take it back, as far as standing up culturally, it's it's still creepy, though. Oh, yeah. She's great in it. She gets that really like dead face. Yeah. That lack of affect. Mm -hmm. She's very intimidating. She is. And you're, you're not sure what's going to happen. And you could kind of see yourself in that situation, you know, especially I'm sure right when this movie came out, like no one was hiring nannies anymore. No, poor <laughs> like nannies. No woman was wanting a nanny well, this in their was home. Also the time where they weren't really doing background checks. <laughs> exactly. You didn't know. So it just probably instilled all kinds of yeah. fear in everyone. Yikes. Ah, anyway, thank you so much for listening. This has been an episode of terror talk. My name is Shannon and I'm Kathy sleep safe. Everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Terror Talk. If you enjoyed this show, there are two things you could do for us. Subscribing and sharing our episodes on social media, as well as writing a review on iTunes. Plus, you could check out our Patreon page. Don't hesitate to contact us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. We upload new episodes of Terror Talk every Wednesday and of Shrink Chat every Friday. Until then, goodbye and have a pleasant tomorrow.